All right. So I, uh, I heard a story once of a guy, he'd uh, been to church, maybe a service just like this one, and he was driving home with his family after the service, and he and his wife were around, the kids were in the back, and he just really did not enjoy the service. He was, oh, he was saying, man, that music was too loud. Uh, the people, they weren't friendly. When I came in, no one said hello. He said the sermon was way too long. That guy just kept on going and going, and he had a weird accent. He what's up with that? And, uh, you know, he's just, he's just complaining. He had nothing but good to say. He was just going on and on, and his young son, who was in the back of the car, um, who happened to have been paying attention while his dad, uh, while the offering was being passed, he said, yeah, but dad, he goes, you've got to admit, it wasn't a bad show for just a dollar. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was pretty lame. But um, the truth is, there are some weeks where I get up here and I speak and I just feel like, man, I, I really, that was a good message. And people laughed and they laughed where they were meant to laugh and not <laughs> at the poor jokes at the beginning. And uh, I should have taken the offering at the end of that service. That was a good, good service. And then there are some weeks where I get up here and I'm like, oh man, I, I'm not even sure what I'm saying myself. How is anyone out there going to understand what I'm talking about? I'm sure glad we've already taken the offering. But the reality is that's not why we take the offering here at Connect. It's not some kind of admission fee or a gratuity that one gives to based on the merit or the quality of the service. The reality is that when we pass those buckets every week here in Connect Church, it's an opportunity for those of us that are followers of Jesus to follow through on what we believe the Bible teaches about when it comes to the money and the resources that we have in our lives. And we're talking about that in this series. The series is called The Ladder. I've got my ladder there on the stage with us. And we discovered last week that the money really is a big part of our lives. If you were here last week, we did kind of like a little question and answer thing. We, we asked about how much money plays a part in your lives, how often you've spoken about it, argued about it, dreamt about it. And we discovered probably the, the collection of us here last Sunday morning is that money is a big part of our lives. If I know this to be true, just recently Apple updated their emojis. I'm, I'm kind of looking at this section of the audience right now because they all knew that. This section, you'll know that in about a month's time. But um, this week they updated their emojis and look what one of the new emojis was right there, this guy. Yeah, money's a pretty big deal. They're like, we need an emoji with some, some money eyes. They also put in a new emoji, which would have been nice to have had a couple of years ago, a tornado emoji. We could have used that around here a few years back. But even Apple recognized that money is a big part of our lives. And what we discovered last week is that actually God has got a lot to say about it. And what we learned last week that was really important and what I want to stay with us throughout this series called The Ladder, and I want to impress upon all of you this morning, is this idea. When it comes to our resources, when it comes to money, when it comes to everything in our lives, and when God talks about it, and when we read about it in the Bible, this is really important to get this. It's not about what God wants from us. It's about what God wants for us. I really believe that. I really believe that whether it's Jesus or Paul or whoever it is talking throughout the Old and New Testament, whenever the subject of money comes up, it's not because God wants something from us. It's because God wants something for us. So in this series called The Ladder, we've been talking about the idea of generosity and giving. And the reason we're using this ladder as an example is because if some of us are challenged to maybe stretch ourselves a little bit and to maybe stretch ourselves with the idea of generosity, we're going to need a ladder. We're going to need this ladder and God's help to get us to places that we would desire to go. But right now, they may be outside of our reach. 
Last week, some of us realized that maybe our ladder was in the wrong place. Maybe our ladder was, was taking us to a place of climbing towards getting more. Get more. I want more stuff. I want more wealth. I want more material things. And we thought, you know what? What if the ladder was moved? What if the ladder was less about getting more and the ladder was to help us to give more? So we moved the ladder to a place of, of greater fulfillment where we can strive to give instead of get more. And so with the ladder in the right position, last week I challenged us to step up. I said, maybe we're here this morning and, and the challenge this week will be just to step up and take that first step in becoming what we called an initial giver. The challenge was that maybe some of you have been coming now to connect for a regular um, amount of time and you've never actually taken that first step to become an initial giver. Maybe even a consistent giver, someone that gives on a regular basis. And I hope that last week that was a challenge to some of you to move to that first step, but we're not going to stop there. This morning we're going to talk about moving up. So we're on the first step, and, and what does it take to move up the ladder? Where do we go from there? This week I want to talk about something the Bible teaches, and if you've grown up in church, you may have heard this taught in other churches. Uh, if you're new to church altogether, this might be something new you've never heard about before, but it's this idea of proportional giving, to become a proportional giver. Now, before I even start to explain what a proportional giver looks like, I've got to back up here just a second because unless we get this, this paradigm shift taken care of, this is going to be a really hard message to understand. So what do I mean by a paradigm shift? Well, a paradigm shift is when you look at something one way until somebody shows you something or teaches you or reveals something to you, and then you see it in a different way. When it comes to money and resources, especially our money, I think there needs to be a bit of a paradigm shift before I can teach about it from the Bible. So let me explain what I mean by that. Take a look at this picture. Okay, some of you may have seen this picture before. How many of you see a picture of an old lady? Okay, just a few hands. How many of you see a picture of a young lady? Look in the other direction. Okay. How many of you can't see anything at all? <laughs> You're like, it's just a big mess. Okay, cool. Well, this is actually two pictures in one. Now, the first picture is an old lady, and she's kind of got a feather in her hair, and she's looking down towards this, this kind of bottom side of the screen. But if you look at that old lady's nose and imagine that that's the young lady's chin, now look again. Do you see the young lady looking away from us? She's kind of looking over her shoulder into the distance. Can you see that? So how many of you now can see both pictures? All right. We may need to leave that up here all morning because some of you are like, seriously, Dave, this is really bugging me. I can only see one. But here's the deal, okay? Keep looking. You'll see them both in a minute. There's an old lady and a young lady. Now, it may be that you only saw one to begin with. Now, that's not any kind of, you know, some of us see one, some of us see the other. I don't believe that there's any kind of rationale as to who you are if you just see the old woman or if you just see the young woman. I just think some of us see one, some see the other. But isn't it amazing when someone points that at you, whether it's this picture or other kind of optical illusions like this, and you suddenly see something that you hadn't seen before? Because then you can see it, can't you? You can't help but see it. Every time I look at this picture now, I can see both the old lady and the young lady. That's what's called a paradigm shift. At first, I just saw one, but thanks to that shift in paradigm, thanks to that paradigm shift, I'm now able to see something that I didn't see before. So I want to tell you a story here real quick this morning to create a paradigm shift with regards to money, and in particular with regards to your money. Okay, so here's, here's the paradigm shift I want to paint the picture of, and rather than show you a picture, I'm going to tell you a story. 
The story is of a, a father, and it was Christmas time, and he talks to his son, and he says, son, what do you want for Christmas? He's like, oh, dad, I really want this particular toy. Anyone who asked uncles, aunts, grandparents, he would just tell them again and again, this is what I want. They would letter to Santa when he went to the mall. It's like, this is what I want. So, so dad knew exactly what he really wanted for Christmas. And it just so happened that this was the most sought-after toy for every child at Christmas. So dad, being the dad he is, he waits till uh, about three days before Christmas to go out in search of this toy. And what do you know? Every store he goes to, the toy is out of stock. It's already been sold. He goes to like eight, nine, ten different shops before finally he comes across a shop that still has this toy in stock. Of course, because it's still in stock, the, shop, the storekeeper knows this, so it's top dollar. There's no discounts on this particular toy. In fact, he pays more than he should have paid for it, but he knows that this is what his son wants. So he buys this toy and he takes it home and he hides it in the house. And then on Christmas Eve, when his son finally falls asleep, he gets the toy out of the hiding place and he he spends about an hour putting it all together in the living room. He sets it all up so it's ready. So as soon as his son opens the toy, he'll be able to play with it straight away. He and his wife, they cover it with some wrapping paper. And the next morning, their son comes running down, bright and early Christmas morning, pulls off the wrapping paper. And the dad said it was all worth it in that moment. Seeing how excited and thrilled his son was to get that toy he really wanted, and he started to play with it. And after three or four minutes, dad kind of gets up next to his son. He says, hey, can I play with that? And his son goes, no, this is my toy. And the dad thinks in that moment, you know what? No, it's not your toy. I drove all around town looking for that toy. I spent more money than I should have buying that toy. I could have bought 10 of those toys. That is my toy. But that's the paradigm shift I want us to get this morning. Because I happen to believe that God has blessed us in our lives. That all that we have in our lives is a blessing from God. And like the father in that story, I think God loves seeing us enjoying the blessings that he's given us. But when it comes to our resources and when it comes to our money, when it comes to subjects like generosity, I think God starts to teach about what it means to to give back a little And some of us, if we're not careful, we can be like the little boy in that story and go, no, this is mine. And God's saying, no, it's mine. So that's the paradigm shift I want us to kind of think about as we go through this. Because the Bible talks a lot about the subject of stewardship when it comes to money. Stewardship is this idea that everything in life and in this world belongs to God. We're simply stewards. We're simply watching over it for him. We're entrusted with this to to live our lives, but also to impact the lives of others. So today, as I said, we're going to be talking about moving up this generosity ladder and what it means to become proportional givers. People who honor God and thank God. And like I said, maybe you've grown up in your church and you'll have heard this before. Maybe you're, you're new to this. But I believe that the Bible talks about this, this thing called the tithe. And I'll unpack that a little bit throughout this morning. But the tithe is, is a tenth. And there are people who honor and thank God by saying, God, I want to give you a tenth of what I get. Now, I've got to be honest this morning, talking about money in church, it can be challenging and uncomfortable, and especially when you start talking about this tithing idea. And I suspect that probably this morning in this room, there are three groups of people. There are maybe those who are here and you're a follower of Jesus, and maybe that's not something you've, you've done yet. Maybe that's something you haven't stretched into yet, but I believe God wants us to be proportional givers. 
My prayer is that by the end of this talk, you will be asking God, would you help me in this area to climb that ladder? Maybe you're here this morning, you have heard about this before. In fact, you practice this. You practice what's called tithing, and you've made that commitment that part of a tenth of your salary, you're saying, yeah, I want to give that um, back to God. And I want to say thank you. I'm inspired by that obedience. But maybe you'll learn in this series that the tithe isn't the, 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 the finish line to cross, but maybe it's even just the starting line. My prayer is that throughout this series, you'll, you'll, even you will see how God will stretch you in your generosity. But I think there's probably a third group of people here this morning, and that's those of you who are maybe you're just investigating Jesus. Maybe you're just visiting church, connect this morning. This is all kind of new to you. Listen, I'm glad you're here today, but what we're talking about here, this is kind of a family conversation. This is us talking as those who have made a decision to follow Jesus. But the reality is we, we, we talk about money because essentially money is a spiritual thing. So we welcome you to listen in. I hope you get something out of it. But we're going to be talking about this and what the Bible teaches about it. So right now, we're going to kind of jump into this. And maybe even now, some of you are already kind of feeling that like, ah, I don't like hearing this. Maybe some of you are angry or nervous. Maybe some of you got that, that feeling you get when you step onto a used car lot and you just want to check out that car and then suddenly a guy shows up from behind the van. You're like, oh, no, no, I was just looking there before. And that's how you feel right now. But the reality is, I wonder, I wonder if just maybe the way you're feeling right now is the evidence that money is powerful. It's really powerful. In fact, that's what the Bible says. And I don't believe it's meant to have that much power over us. But unfortunately, for some of us, it does. It becomes powerful and it can consume our lives. See, I wish when it came to generosity, there was just a magic pill that we could take. And and just by taking this pill, suddenly we became generous. Money was no longer an issue with us and we were able to give freely. But unfortunately, that pill doesn't exist. Actually, I thought it didn't exist until I uh, met a friend of mine. He's a pastor at a church in Detroit, and he told me about a video, a commercial, actually, that they showed in their church. So uh, maybe uh, we need to see if we can get our hands on this particular product. Check this out. You make a great team. It's been that way since the day you met. But your generosity dysfunction may not be a question of cash flow. Givalis for daily use helps you be ready anytime the moment's right. You can be more confident in your ability to be ready. And the same Givalis is the only daily tablet approved to treat general generosity as well as tithing at your local church. Tell your doctor about all your medical conditions and medications and ask if your heart is healthy enough for generous activity. Do not take Givalis if you have an unhealthy aversion to joy as it may cause an unexpected spike in happiness. Do not drink alcohol in excess with Givalis. Side effects may include love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and all over favor of God. To avoid long-term injury, seek immediate medical attention for generosity lasting more than four hours. If you have any sudden decrease or loss in greed, selfishness, or underlying cheapskatery, continue taking Givalis as prescribed. Or if you have any Oprah-style reactions such as... Stop taking Givalis and get medical help right away. Ask your doctor about Givalis for daily use in a 30-tablet free trial. So unfortunately, there isn't some magic potion or some kind of prescription that we can take that will just suddenly free us up from um, our our lack of desire to give. 
So it's going to have to come from the heart, isn't it? It's going to have to be a decision that we make, and it's going to have to be something that we pray through. And maybe it's going to have to be something that we'll say, God, I, I want it, but it's kind of out of reach. It's a stretch for me, and that's why we're talking about the ladder. So whether you're a student here this morning, whether you're a business person, a single mom, a doctor, whether you're unemployed, I think God has something to say to all of us today about our money. So all I ask is that you stick with me and just hear me out as I talk about this till the end. So let's see what God has to say about this, shall we? I want to start by going a long way back, okay? We're going to go right the way back to a time in the Bible where a man by the name of Abraham lived. Now, Abraham lived well over a thousand years before Jesus. So we're talking a long time ago. He was before Moses was alive. In fact, even today, Jews will tell you that Abraham was the father of their faith. It's where it all kind of began. So we're going to look at real briefly here this morning an encounter between um, Abraham in Genesis 14 and another man by the name of Melchizedek. Okay, Melchizedek. Say that with me. Melchizedek. That's good. Well done. You got it. Okay, Melchizedek. There's a new word you learned this morning. Now, Abraham, okay, he's in the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land that God promised to give him and his descendants. And as he moved in there, for the most part, things have moved smoothly for him. But there's a time, okay, when Abraham's nephew gets taken captive by these armies of these five Canaanite kings. So Abraham gets a band of armed men together, and he goes riding off to rescue his nephew. And we read in Genesis 14 that Abraham and his men, they pull off this daring nighttime raid. He only has 318 men with him, but they rout the armies of the five kings and they win an against all odds victory. And in the process, they actually get all sorts of um, goods and material wealth. It was kind of the spoils of war. They get to take all of this stuff with them. So they rescue his nephew, they get all this stuff. And on his way home... This, from this victory, this guy comes out to meet Abraham, this mysterious Melchizedek. We don't know a lot about him, but we do know that he's the king of Salem, and he's called a, a priest of the Most High God. He's not talked about really before or after this passage, and he's not even mentioned again. Other than one time in the Psalms, he's not mentioned again until the New Testament. And at that point, it's in Hebrews where the writer compares him to the new high priest, that's Jesus. So that's all we know about Melchizedek, but let's listen to what happens when the two of them meet. He comes out to Abraham carrying bread and wine, and he pronounces a blessing upon him. He said, blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hands. He's saying, Abraham, this tremendous against all odds victory is something that God did. God won this battle for you. And then the Bible says that Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now, we don't know exactly who Melchizedek was or where he came from or where he went after this, but this much we do know. He was God's representative to Abraham, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything from the victory God had given him. This tenth that Abraham gave to God is the very first time in history that anybody ever tithed. So this is where, in the Bible, we see this principle introduced. So if you've heard this taught before at church, if you've ever heard this and wondered, so where is that beginning? This was the very first time we can read about it happening in the Bible. And then it continues on throughout various um, books and throughout the history of the Bible. And maybe you're more familiar with the teaching that comes later on in the Old Testament by a man by the name of Malachi. There was a prophet who lived, and his name was Malachi, and he talks about this whole subject as well. 
Malachi is a prophet and there's a whole book that bears his name towards the end of the Old Testament. And God's talking to his people hundreds of years after Abraham about this idea of tithing. And God has some very pointed words and some very promising words with his people about tithing. Here's what he says. He says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Okay, so this is what God is saying through the prophet Malachi. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of like it when God's direct. I like it when it's really clear what he's saying, but I don't always like what it says. Sometimes it can be tough to read, tough to hear. So we learn that Abraham started this practice of what we call tithing, and then Malachi, he clarifies what we need to know about it. And in that passage, I think there are three kind of points that he makes. The first point that he made this morning is this idea that not tithing is robbing from God. So if those seemed edgy, just just keep this in mind, okay? This is what God's saying. As important as it can be to do what we said last week, to start somewhere and to step up in initial giving, Malachi is saying, bring the whole tithe to God. He was saying that less than tenth is partial obedience to God. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you think, well, you know what? Partial obedience is better than no obedience, right? Well, you tell me. If you're a parent here this morning and your kids have chores and you said to them, hey, listen, I need you to go and cut the grass. And they come back in an hour later and you say, hey, did you cut the grass? They said, well, I partially cut it. I did the edges. I did some bits in the middle. You know, I I got some of it done. How are you going to feel about that? I know as a dad, I'm going to be sending them right back out there. Because what Malachi is saying here is not tithing, is partial obedience. It's like robbing God. The second truth that I think we can read here is that not tithing leads to not being fully blessed by God. Now, if you thought that first part he was saying was edgy, this gets even tougher. The next thing the prophet Malachi says is basically, if I'm not tithing, it's like I'm under a curse. We're like, wow, what does that mean? So I want to tell you this morning what I don't think it means. I don't think it means that God's going to make bad things happen to you. I don't think it means you're going to just break out in boils and everything starts falling apart in your lives, that you'll end up with no food, no job, your pet's heads are falling off. Um, I don't think it'll be just like constantly bad things happening, okay? Here's what I think it is. And actually, there's a book that I've been reading that's kind of really helped me with this series. It's called The Generosity Ladder. If you want to look out for this book, it's a great book that you can read. And and the author in it, he says this about what that curse can look like. He says, going to bed every night worried about money, arguing about money all the time with the people you love, living in fear of losing everything. The author says, that's what I think it's like to be under that curse. It's that that constant um, emotional struggle that we have when money is, is a fear in our lives. You know, Jesus talked about it last week, didn't he? Or I talked about it last week. Jesus, um, I was talking about what Jesus said last week. Jesus talked about it ages ago. But um, <laughs> he says you can't serve two masters. You'll, you'll, you'll sacrifice one at the expense of the other. And he's talking about God and money. He said if you serve God and trust God, he'll help you in this area. So the third truth, and I like this one. 
The third truth is this. It's the only command where God says, test me in this. God says he will bless the practice of being a proportional 10% giver in our lives. And then he says this weird thing. He says, test me and try me and see. Do you know it's the only place in the whole Bible that God ever says that? Think about that. God is saying, give me the tithe and just see if I don't bless you. Now, it's fascinating to me that this is the only time in Scripture where God says to test him like that. And here's why I think it is. I think it's because God knows that this is a test for us. He knows that you and I, we have this really sensitive nerve that runs from our hearts to our wallets. And he wants us to trust him. And the truth is that um, for all of us that have ever heard or, or, or come up with any kind of excuses, we'll know that this is an area that it is difficult to trust him in. And because it's a difficult area to trust him in, I think we come up with some reasons why maybe we don't think this is for us. Maybe one of those reasons is, well, tithing is what they did in the Old Testament. I've heard that said before, and and that's true. It was an Old Testament law. And I believe that Jesus, when he came, he did come to set us free from those laws and the legalism of the Old Testament. But I don't think it meant that he was abolishing them. You see, Jesus, although he talks a lot about money, he never actually comes out and says, you should tithe. But listen to what he does say when he's talking to the Pharisees one day. He says in Matthew 23, 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, which was, was them tithing, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. What he's saying, is, as he very often says here, is he's chastising the Pharisees. He's telling them, listen, you're following the letter of the law. You're giving 10%, but your hearts are still wrong when it comes to caring for others. He was refocusing, as he often does, on our hearts. But he didn't say, but it's wrong to tithe. He says, no, your hearts need to be right. You should have practiced the latter, but you still shouldn't neglect the former. I think Jesus was clearly still pro the idea of tithing. You know, another one, maybe you've heard this excuse, maybe you've used it yourself. I can't afford to tithe. I can barely afford to give anything. And this is a very real concern for many people. But I think often it comes from the wrong paradigm, the paradigm that this is mine. I can't afford to give. We're like that little kid on the floor shielding our new toy, worried about what it might mean to give some of it up, whereas actually the person who is asking us to is the one who provided us with it in the first place. Now, you might be here this morning saying, well, God didn't give me my money. I worked for it. I believe that. But I'd ask, who put the air in your lungs? Who gave you the health and the ability to be able to work? You know, Abraham didn't give away 10% of the treasure that just landed in his lap. He went out and he had to fight for it. That treasure that he got, he had to go out and kick some butts to get his nephew back, okay? And in the meantime, he he won some treasure. He won some, um, some of the spoils of war. And when confronted by Melchizedek and said, you should give 10% of that to God, rather than say, I had to work hard for this. This is mine. He recognized the blessing of God upon his life. He knew that it was God's blessing upon him that helped him to win that battle in the first place. And he celebrated the fact that he was able to still keep the 90% of it. You know, I was fortunate to learn this idea, this principle, very early on in my life as a follower of Jesus. It was actually when I was still single, only earning a very meager salary. I learned what it meant to tithe. 
And as life grew and my income grew, my commitment to tithe has grown with it. If you've ever heard him talk about this, there's a guy by the name of Dave Ramsey, and he's a a financial management expert. He talks about getting out of debt, and he talks about all sorts of very practical um, money-related things. But Dave Ramsey himself is a follower of Jesus. He's a Christian himself. So one of the things that he teaches a lot is this idea of what he calls the 10-10-80 principle. The idea he gives is that you should um, live a life where you give 10%, you save 10%, and you live on 80%. This is a guy who talks to millions of people on radio shows and TV shows about what it means to to handle your money and to budget and to live wisely within your means. And this is the the principle that he gives. Now, as we look at this, some of us are thinking, man, I may need to adjust my lifestyle a bit to make this work. I may need to alter my budget. I may need to seriously consider what are the needs in my life and what are the wants. But the truth is, I think maybe some of us need to do that. Because I think maybe some of us, if we were to look at our plan in our lives, it would look more like this. Check this one out. We give 2%. We save 0%. We live on 118%. Some of us live on more than we've actually got. And we talked about that last week as being a very real problem. We talked about um, the amount of credit card debt and, and bankruptcies in America today. The sad thing is that we live in a culture where people are living beyond their means, driving cars they can't afford, using credit cards to take them to places and dress them in clothes that really are outside of what they can actually pay for. And the truth is to to really kind of live that idea, that 10-10-80 idea, it's going to be hard. In fact, it may even seem out of our reach. But that's why we have the ladder. The ladder is us saying, God, I need your help. I'm not going to be able to do this, but I know right now that in trying to do it myself, it's been a bit of a mess. I find myself worrying about finances. I find myself um, consumed with it, and it's a mess. It's not part of my life that I've given over to you. So where should this tithe go? Well, Malachi says that the tithe should go to God's storehouse. The word storehouse is another word for God's temple. And ever since Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, the temple is no longer a physical building. It's the church. It's us. It's a community of broken and imperfect people who gather together in one place to change their community and to change their world with the perfect plan of God. That's who we are this morning. So for us, for Casey and I and our lives, we've chosen to tithe to the local church. And then over and above that, we've found ways to give to others. We support two children through compassion, one in Ecuador and one in Bolivia. And we've made a choice to give that over and above what we tithe. That comes from the 80, not the 10. So what about you this morning? See, we want giving to be a a get-to and not a have-to. Maybe today's the day you're going to take a step onto the next rung of that ladder. Maybe today's the day you're going to move up just a little. See, let me do this if I could this morning. Let me close out by speaking to those three groups of people again. Maybe issue a little bit of a challenge to to each one of those three groups. If you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, and you're on the ladder and you give, but still tithing is something that maybe is something you haven't seen yourself stretched in yet. I want to encourage you to test God on this, just as he asked us to in Malachi. In fact, I want to get really practical here this morning. 
I want you to really put God to the test. I want to challenge you to test him on this for the next three months. Okay, God didn't say anywhere in the Bible, test me for three months, but I thought it would be a good time period because you've got to start somewhere, right? So that's going to be the takeaway here for you this morning, if that's you. And here's what I want you to do. This is going to stretch you a little bit, but under your seats, you're going to find a card, okay? Every one of us has got a card under our seats. We'll put um, a picture of that card up on the screen. It's what I've called the tithe challenge. We're going to test God. This is our opportunity to move up the ladder. I'm going to ask you to indicate your commitment to tithe on this card, and then in the end, there'll be some people at the um, doors on the way out with baskets. You can turn your card in. Now, we're not going to do anything with those cards. We're not going to email you. We're not going to remind you. We're not going to come knocking on your door and saying, hey, we've got the contract right here. You said... This is just your way right now between you and God to say, God, I want to stretch myself in this. This is something new that I want to test you in. I, 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 hearing what Dave's saying and talking about, you know, right the way back to Abraham and then when Malachi was talking about, I see now how the, the scripture kind of teaches that. I want to test God in this like it says. I want to see how that will be. And here's something I want to do, okay? This is how much I personally, as the pastor of Connect, believe this to be the case. So three months from now, okay, three months from now, for those of you who are um, going to sign this card and say, yeah, I, I want to try this. Three months from now, if you feel that after tithing this way, it's um, not something you're comfortable with, you're, you're having a hard time with it, we'll give you that money back. Okay? Now, there has to be a way to track that money. You can't come to me in three months and say, hey, I go 500 in cash and... Uh, <laughs> So there's, there's ways you can write checks or on the app or through um, envelopes. You can put cash in the envelopes and write your name address. We'll track that. And, but I really believe it to be true. I don't, want, I, I don't want to be like a safety blanket, but I'm so convinced that when, when the Bible says to God, God says, test me in this, I really think that as you test him in it, you'll see how just your mentality of your finances, your money, you'll see changes take place in your life. So there you go. That's a challenge for the group here this morning that would say they're, they're followers of Jesus, but maybe haven't yet stretched themselves in tithing. Maybe you're here this morning, and this is something that you either grew up believing, maybe you grew up in a Christian family, and this was taught to you from an early age. Uh, maybe you've attended a church, and you learned this at some point. This is something you've um, uh, worked to do. And, and here at Connect, you live by this. This is something you do on a regular basis. Again, I want to say a huge thank you to you. You are helping us at Connect to partner with other organizations and make a difference in this world. You know, we talked last week about how one of our values here at Connect is to help people locally. And we talked about some of the things that were going on here locally in this community. Another value we have here at Connect is to help nationally. So across the United States, we, we actually have, have sent some money and we've, we've portioned off um, some of the money that comes in the offerings every week. And those of you that are giving on a regular basis, those of you who are tithing, you're helping make this happen. We've been able to send resources, send finances to other churches that like Connect are planting across the United States. One of those churches that we've been able to support for over a year now is a church called Unlock Church in Minneapolis. And the pastor of that church, I asked if he would um, send us a little message to tie in with the series this morning. So check out this video. Hi, my name is Scott Mendenhall. I'm the lead pastor here at Unlock Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. And I want to say thank you. Thank you to you. 
That's right, you sitting at Connect Church right now, I want to say thank you for your generosity. Maybe you didn't know this, but when you give in the offering buckets during the service, the leadership and Dave Jane make decisions what to do with that. And one of their greatest decisions, in my opinion, was to support Unlock Church. Connect Church was the very first church to support us. We kicked off with our grand opening over six weeks ago. 200 brand new families showed up that weren't currently going to church. Since the six weeks ago, we've had over 130 first-time guests that have been coming on Sundays. We've watched marriages already that were in shambles, starting to put the pieces back together because they've made connections with Jesus. We're watching college students that had no hope or dreams, now they've put their trust in Christ, are dreaming big dreams. See, this church didn't exist a year and a half ago. My family and I moved from Miami to here to start this church, and you guys stood in the gap as we were trying to raise resources and meet people. And because of that, Unlocked Church exists and will exist in the future. So I thank you for your generosity. Keep praying for us as we are going into our seventh week here at Unlocked Church. Eighth week, ninth week. we got a long road ahead of us to make sure we establish a healthy, growing, life-giving church in Maple Grove. Thank you to Dave Jane, the leadership, and you at Connect Church. Have a great afternoon. just never ceases to, to blow my mind just how God can work. There's a good friend of mine. He's a pastor of a church down in Kansas City. And two or three years ago, he stood before his congregation and said, hey, there's a buddy of mine. His name's Dave. He's starting a church in Washington, Illinois. A little bit like ours, he's part of this church, and we really want to see them launch well and launch strong, and we want to send some finances their way. And they sent us a really um, amazing check to help us launch. So there were people sat like this in Kansas City, hearing about a church in Washington, Illinois they knew nothing about, and gave. And because they gave, and because they gave on a regular basis, which meant that this guy could, could send the check, some of you are here today. Some of you have found your way back to God because some people in Kansas City were part of a team and a part of other people who helped give to help us launch. And you don't know some of those families in Minneapolis. You don't know any of those families in Minneapolis. But because of your gifts and, and uh, because of those who give on a regular basis... There are people sat this morning, Sunday morning, in Maple Grove, Minnesota, who are hearing about Jesus for the very first time, whose lives are being changed because we were able to help resource them, and we were able to help resource them because so many of you give so faithfully. So for those of you here this morning, and and tithing is something that you have um, stepped into and you live by, I, I still want to challenge you. There's room to move up this ladder. There's no ceiling there on the idea of generosity, and we're going to talk a little bit more on that idea next Sunday to round out this series. But let me just talk um, in closing here to that last group of people. Maybe you're here and you're investigating Jesus. Maybe you're just checking out Connect Church for the first time. Maybe it's your first time here at Connect this morning, and for ages you've thought, man, I want to go and check out a church, but all they ever talk about is money. And then you're like, okay, I'll give them a try. And I'm sorry that this was the Sunday that you came for the very first time. We don't always talk about this. But I do believe that it's something that God taught on. And again, let me just reiterate this this morning, because God wants something for us, not something from us. God teaches on this. This is throughout the Bible because it's a blessing for us. Those of us here who have made that decision to give are not just motivated by what the Bible teaches on it. They also give in response to the fact that God gave so much for them. 
God didn't hold anything back, and he gave his son Jesus for us. He made the difference in our lives, and it's because of him that we choose to live differently, and it's because of him that we're able to live differently. You know, I'm going to pray to to close here this morning because I think this ladder is a perfect illustration when it comes to teaching on this subject from the Bible. Because for many of us, it seems like, man, that's hard. What, What God's asking of us here, that's a stretch, that's difficult, but he's given us help. He says, listen, test me in this. Trust me, I want to help you in this. And most importantly, I want to help free you up in that area of your life. That area that sometimes can cause a lot of tension in relationships, can sometimes cause a lot of um, frustration and fear, maybe concern about the future and will I have enough and will it always be there? And God says, trust me in this. I'm like the dad who bought you the best toy in the world. I love looking down. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to look after you. I'm going to be there for you. But just remember that paradigm shift this morning that in the way that I've given to you, When the Bible teaches on something like generosity, it's just a small part of the amazing blessing that God has already given to us. So let's pray, shall we? God, thank you that you're very clear on uh, this in the Scriptures, Lord. This isn't something ambiguous, Lord. It's not something, but there are some very clear messages that you speak, both through the Old Testament and the New Testament. But just because you're clear in it, Lord, doesn't mean it's easy for us to to follow that, God. And for some of us, we're going to need the help of the ladder because this is going to take us to a place that's outside of our reach. But God, I pray that people would have the faith, Lord, to trust you. Say, God, I want to trust you in this. I want to be set free from the grip that this has on my life, the fear and the struggles and the, you know, just the difficulty we have with our finances. I want to be free from all of that. And if, if this is true, if what Dave is talking about this morning, if that is true, that God, you want to set us free from this, then Lord, I want to live in that place of freedom. So God, I pray that people would have the courage to test you in this, to step up, Lord, to move up the ladder and to trust you and... and, and Ask for your help to to see what it would look like to become a proportional giver. So help us in this, I pray, Lord. We cannot do this without your help. It's a step of faith. But I believe, Lord, from my own life, it's a step of faith that uh, is worth taking. It's one that you will come through for us in. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.